Hey, friends and family. Today, I'm going to answer this question from one of our biggest fans, RNT45T1. Do you guys do personal finance questions slash videos? Yes, we do. I'd be interested to hear how you would tell me to invest my $11,000 a month income. Well, seeing as we can't offer financial advice over YouTube, I think that's the end of our episode. So thanks for stopping by. I'll see you guys next time. Okay, just kidding about that. Of course, we'll answer your question, but we got to answer it in a very specific way. So we can't offer financial advice on YouTube and anything I say here going forward is not financial advice. What I'll be doing is I'll be describing to you how it was that I started off investing when I had a little bit extra income and hopefully our fan RNT45T1 will be able to extrapolate from that some information that he can use to make some good decisions for his financial future. If you stick around to the end of this episode, the information that you will gain will put you tremendously ahead of your peers. But more importantly, if you stick around to the end, I'll tell you my biggest financial secret that helped me out when I first started. Let's get into it. There's going to be a lot of information in this video. I'm going to slam through it as fast as I possibly can. If it was too quick, don't worry. We have plenty of videos talking about each of these topics in much more detail. But for right now, I'm just trying to get to the point where people can get started kind of using my beginning as the example. Howdy folks, Cowboy AJ here. I just want to interject real quick to let you know that we are giving away $500 to one of our first 10,000 subscribers. Right now we're almost at 2,000 subscribers. Once we get to 10,000, we'll do an episode where we randomly select one of our subscribers to send them $500. Make sure you subscribe and don't miss out. Let's get back to it. So the first thing that we need to know is how much money do we need when we actually hit retirement? We have to have a goal in order to have something to achieve when we finally get there. So not too long ago, there was a study called the Trinity Study. And what they did is they figured out that over a 30-year retirement period, at any point in American history, if you were to retire and have your money stay, you know, have enough money for 30 years to be able to live off of, that you could withdraw safely 4% of your portfolio every year and you would have enough money through a 30-year time, 30-year retirement. This isn't exactly accurate. Some people on the more conservative side will say 3 or even less than 3%, and some people on the more aggressive side will say as high as 6%. We've got ideas on how to achieve, you know, maximize your returns in retirement, but that's a different episode. For this episode, what we're going to do is use that Trinity study information to figure out what it is that we need when we finally get to retirement. So all you have to do is take what you want in retirement in terms of your income, your annual income, and multiply that by 25 and whatever answer you get is the amount that you should be going for in order to retire. So in this case, the commenter asked about $11,000. So let's take 11,000. We'll multiply that by 12. We get $132,000 a year. Great job, by the way. And if we take that number and multiply it by 25, we would get that he would need $3.3 million in retirement. So he'd probably need more maybe less depending on how he's trying to accomplish this, but 3.3 is a good number for him to shoot for. Now that we have our goal, the next thing that I had to do when starting out was figure out how to actually get to that goal. If you sit down and you, you figure out that if you start saving money, it's going to take you a significant amount of time to save enough money to get to that point. In fact, in fact, if our commenter had 30 years left to retirement and he just started putting money into the bank, 
it would take him $110,000 a year to get to the point where he had $3.3 million in the bank when he finally decided to retire. And if you did the math on that, you realize that $110,000 is like the wide majority of his income. He'd have to put most of his income in to get to $3.3 million. So we need a better answer. And the answer to that question is something I finally figured out, which is compound interest. It's one of the very first videos I made here at Wealthy Idiots because it's one of the most important things in figuring out how to get wealthy when you get to that retirement stage. So what compound interest does is it takes whatever it is that you have. And if you have like an annual increase of 10%, so if you have 100 bucks, then that will increase to be $110 next year. But because now you have $110, if that increases by 10% again, you would have 11 more dollars the following year. And as time goes on, a curve starts to happen that increases that growth exponentially so that we can get to that $3.3 million number without having to actually save dollar for dollar. So you'll often see on our channel, we use 10% as kind of the baseline in order to figure this stuff out. Sometimes I drop it down to 8% if I'm trying to account for things like inflation, or I just want to be on the more conservative side. So for the sake of this mental exercise, we'll do 8% and we'll see how this comes out. So with an 8% return, our commenter would have to be investing about $29,000 per year at an eight, at, uh, for about the next 30 years to get to the point where he could then withdraw enough money to survive. And... That, that roughly comes out to be about $2,400 per month. So still a pretty significant number that he'd have to invest, but it is doable with the income that he has now. But just for the sake of the exercise, let's add, let's put in 10% and see much, how much he would have to save if we got a 10% return. With a 10% return over a 30-year period, he would only have to invest $20,000, almost $10,000 less or one-third less in order to get to the exact same place. So just showing the impact of each percentage point on the compounding interest, it becomes abundantly clear, and this was something I figured out pretty quickly, that maximizing these percentage points, these annual return percentages, is what's required in order to get there for the least amount of money possible. So even if I'm being on the conservative side, I want to make sure that I beat my end goal of, let's say it's 3.3 million and that's what I'm aiming for. I'm going to invest $29,000 per year. I'm hoping that I can beat that 8% return over that period so that I will have more than 3.3 by the time I hit retirement. Now, the next step is I was just sort of figuring this process out. So now I understand how compound interest works. I understand the goal that I'm trying to achieve, in this case, $3.3 million. And I'm trying to figure out next what it is that I'm going to put my money into to achieve this. And I need a couple of things, especially when you first start out. I think these few things are really important. You need something that has that requires very little effort on your part. Now, adding more effort to any kind of investment strategy will ultimately increase that percentage point, will increase that compounding interest. But for just starting out, we need something that we could basically just buy and do no extra work for. So we're looking for something extremely simple with a low amount of effort. We also need something that has really good returns. So we, we don't want something that's you know low effort, but returning 1% like a savings account. We need something that actually produces enough to get us to that 3.3 number. And lastly, it needs to be diverse. We need to make sure that we're not investing everything into one basket because if something were to occur with that basket, we would be in a lot of trouble. And we're trying to get to 
you know, as close to guaranteed wealth as we possibly can, nothing is guaranteed, but as close as we possibly can. And if we don't diversify, we're really risking our portfolio. So we need this to be easy. It needs to have a good return and it needs to be diverse. So a couple of really important requirements there. But what's a good return and how do we measure that? Well, looking at things like the S&P 500, the S&P 500 is the top 500 companies in the United States. And we could see how those perform, you know, excluding everything else. And when we look at those, the, the S&P 500, the performance is just above 10%. It's about 10.62%, I believe. And 10% seems to kind of be this magic number. I've mentioned this before on the channel that for some reason, if things have a higher than a 10% return, it either requires more effort, you got to actually work for it, or a lot of investors start getting into that space, which drops the percentage down. And if something gets less than 10%, investors tend to turn and look elsewhere in order to find better options. So 10% seems to be this magical investment number that everybody is trying to kind of equal out at. And so finding something around 10% is pretty good. So I would say anything that is good would be somewhere between eight and 12. Anything above 12 would be extremely good, it would be great. And anything below eight is not that great. We wanna try and keep ourselves in an annual return of between eight and 12%. So now how do we go about doing that as someone who's first starting out? So the first thing you have to understand is that there are different kinds of accounts. We often think of accounts as something that you put cash into because most of us have a checking account or a savings account. We don't have another type of account, but there are a lot of other types of accounts that exists that, that can have much more inside of them than just cash. They can have assets and investments, and in some cases, accounts can even have real estate inside of them. So we're gonna look at accounts and find the one that best fits our goals. If your employer has 401k matching, the very first type of account that you should have is a 401k. We see a lot of these TikTok videos and a lot of these people who are comparing different things like 401k is not as good as this thing. Recently, I just saw one that said like, you know, buy life insurance for me because that's better than a 401k. Here's the deal. If you get any kind of matching, whether it be a 25%, 50% or 100% match, you're getting instant returns on your money for no effort on your part, right? Remember we talked about great returns, 25% instant 25% return, 100% instant 100% return if that's what they're matching to. We have to do nothing. Your company takes the money out of your account before you even see it. So it's low effort. Also, it has tax savings. So if you'd save taxes, I understand that with a 401k, you're not saying taxes, you're not saving taxes later. When you start withdrawing money, you're going to have to pay taxes, but you are saving in taxes up front. And by saving in taxes up front, you're preventing yourself from spending as much in taxes, money that you could be investing and in compounding over time. And that money will grow to be even bigger than hopefully your tax bill in the future. So as long as we keep investing, we don't pull this money out, that tax benefit of not paying taxes up front is gonna be great. And we combine that with the matching, it's perfect. Now, if you don't have employer matching, the best account that you can get is a Roth IRA. And we're gonna switch these two. So if you do have employer matching, the first thing that I would do is get the 401k up to the match. The next thing I would do is Roth IRA. If your employer doesn't do any kind of matching, I would just switch those two. Still do them, just switch the importance of those two. And a Roth IRA is like the biggest financial cheat code. You can only get it if you have under a certain amount of income per year. So you're going to might need to look that up. I'm not 100% sure if our commenter qualifies with his $11,000 a month, but he should check on that. 
And it allows you to put in money tax-free at the beginning. So you can write that all the money you put into it off your taxes this year up to $6,500. And that gets increased every once in a while. And you get to pull money out of it tax-free. So all the growth is tax-free. Double benefits on the taxes. So we get to actually keep all of our returns, which is hugely important. Now, after those two, there are a few other tax advantage vehicles and accounts. Things like college funds, IRAs, health savings accounts. Um, all of these things I took a look at and I have put money into. I'm attempting to try and either keep as much money up front as possible so that I can invest more of it or find ways to save money later on in life through tax-advantaged accounts like a Roth IRA. That way, this entire amount of money, this 3.3 that we're looking at, we want to keep as much of that as humanly possible or we want to grow it past that amount so that when we're finally taxed on withdrawing it, it doesn't matter anymore. None of these accounts are investments. So this is, we talked about this pretty recently. People will compare things that are really bizarre. Like I invest in real estate and that's better than a 401k. Well, in a 401k, you're not investing into the 401k itself. The 401k is just an account that holds assets. It holds cash or, or other types of investment assets. Roth IRA is the same way. You put cash in it or you put it into other kinds of investments. And in some cases you can even put Roth IRA you could put real estate into a Roth IRA. So these two, these things don't compare with each other. But what we want to keep in mind is that when you get these accounts, it's not good enough just to put your cash into them. You have to figure out what to do with the cash once they're in that account. I need to start finding where this 8 to 12% return is something that's achievable. If you listen to Dave Ramsey, you can get 12% returns somewhere. So we got to go hunting for them and try to find them. There are tons of different kinds of investment types. So we have our account. Now we're going to take the cash that's in our account and, and start buying assets with it. And we have things like stocks, options, bonds, high yield savings, money market, ETFs, also known as index funds, mutual funds, CDs, precious metals, REITs, and the list goes on and on. You can invest in the ice cream shop that your buddy is starting down the street. Lots of things can be invested in in order for you to get a return. But remember, at the beginning, we're looking for something that's simple, diverse, and has a solid return. So in this case, single stocks and options aren't really simple. You have to buy a lot of them. You have to try and manage them. You have to make sure that you're looking at the companies you're buying and, make, and making good decisions about which ones you're purchasing. Warren Buffett is one of the best at this, but that's his entire career and his job. Most of us aren't going to be able to do that. It's too complicated. We also have things that aren't you know, diverse on their own. Again, single stocks and options, you have to buy a wide range, which makes things more complicated in order to get diversification. And things like precious metals, for example, is just one asset type. Some of these don't have good returns. CDs, high yield savings accounts, money market, precious metals have low returns as well. And if you're only getting a couple of percentage points a year, it's going to take you a really long time to get to that 3.3. So we're going to look for something that has a high return, that's low effort, that's automatically diversified. And the two things that come out are mutual funds and index funds. Mutual funds are diverse. They're a actively managed account. So somebody is managing or some group is managing the account. They're choosing to buy and sell things, to take money out, to put it in over here, to put it in over there. And you could get mutual funds that are diversified in a wide number of areas. One of the best mutual funds that exist is one that is invested in a lot of tech. So it's heavy on the tech sector. It means that it swings with tech. So you're going to see a lot of highs and lows, 
but it also means that text tends to grow pretty well over time. And so that does a really good job on average over the course of that time. Now, index funds are funds where it is bought against a specific index, meaning that if you have the Fortune 500, and these are all the companies in the Fortune 500, it's going to, as you put cash in, it's gonna equally distribute your cash into that index fund exactly how the, the Fortune 500 list is currently existing. And then as you keep buying, it will keep uh, buying as it currently exists. And so you're just matching a big portion of an, what's called an index of um, part of the market. So you could buy index funds in utilities. You could buy wide total market index funds, Fortune 500 index funds, tech index funds. They're all over the place and they're not managed. The benefit of them not being managed is that no one is taking a fee out as a result. The disadvantage is if someone is actually good enough at managing, they could probably get a better return than what you could get with an index fund. So now me personally, when I started doing this research and figuring this stuff out, I landed on going into index funds. There's something that rubs me the wrong way about someone who's manually managing a fund and taking a fee for it. I don't believe anybody is capable of being smarter than the market is themselves. I think it's a lot of guessing. And if someone is able to achieve a really good return, I I have, I just feel like that was on accident. I don't feel like that was on purpose. I much prefer the index fund concept simply because I could put my money in. I know no one's managing it and it's just mimicking what the current market looks like. And I don't have to really think about it after that. So it takes some mental pressure off of me that I, I just don't, I, I'm just kind of watching the economy generally. And as the economy generally is going down, like it has been, I've seen some losses. And then when it comes up, I see the gains. I don't really have to think about what it is that I'm doing. And that brings us all the way back to finding a simple solution, something that's not too complex. And so I landed on index funds. You can land on whatever you want. Google does a really good job of allowing you to compare different things. So on the Google website, I'm going to compare two of uh, index funds that we've mentioned on this show, not because we're suggesting that you should go buy them, but because we've suggested that we may have purchased them um, in our own portfolios. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you how much we purchased, what our current portfolio stuff looks like when we're purchasing. This is not financial advice. I'm just showing you two index funds that are widely popular so that you can compare these two. So VOO is a basic index fund against the fortune 500. Now, if we look at the, the other one, the VTI, which is the total market index, and you could see how they compare to each other. So it looks like Compared to each other, they're really, really close. And the blue outdoes the yellow by just a smidgen. So maybe it's good to look into both of these. So if you hop on over to Yahoo and you hop on over to performance for any um, index fund that you're looking at. So VOO, we can see that over the last 12 years or over the last uh, 10 years, they've had a 12.5% return. Um, so super good. Remember 12, it's above 12, which is good. Um, and five years is 11.9 and over the last three, 8.74, you could see over this last year, that's when we actually hit a negative. So this happens. Sometimes stuff goes way up. Sometimes it comes way back down, but we could see over the last three months and one month and also year to date, just this last two months, basically that it is making a comeback. It's doing pretty well. We don't know how long this comeback will last, but we could see the data here that suggests that VOO might be a good investment. 
And that's how we can kind of see the performance of what it is that we're looking at in order to invest. Again, not financial advice, not telling you to invest here, just trying to show you how we look at the information so that we know where we're putting our money. And the more and more you look, the more and more you're going to see the data make sense. So at first, at first glance, you're looking at it and thinking like 12% is meaningless to me. I don't know how the average goes over that 12 year period or I mean, sorry, 10 year period. So how do I know how to measure if that was good or if that was bad? And then go look at that Google one where you can compare and you could see how well this did versus other things. There are very few mutual funds that exist that have beat this out. So I don't want to guess as to which those are much prefer to invest in this. And that's what I did when I first started out. So breaking down all the things that I did, I maximized my 401k to the match. I opened up a Roth IRA. I got a health savings account through my work. And then in each of these accounts, I went and made sure that I put it into an index fund that either replicated the entire market or the um, Fortune 500. And that was it. I didn't do anything after that for several years. I just sat on that and let it do its thing. I didn't really want to look at it. I didn't really think about it. And it checked everything off. The simplicity, I got a high return, um, and it was automatically diversified. I didn't have to worry about moving anything around. It wasn't until a couple years after that, so this whole process started for me in the mid-2010s, so somewhere around 2013, somewhere around there is when I started. It wasn't until 2019 when I finally bought real estate. So you can get more complex. You can find things that you can put more effort into. We showed how like just in the current real estate market, we could get as high as a 20% return. And you saw the power of how each percentage point really maximized the returns for my retirement over a long period of time. Over a short period of time, it doesn't matter too much. But over that long period of time, as we're putting money in consistently and we're staying in the market, we're not pulling money back out. We're not worried about when the economy drops. Like right now, I left everything in there and I bought more. In fact, most of my money has now gone back to the positive again and I don't have to think about it too much. That's what we want to try and achieve and we want to get those highest returns. Now, I can do more complex stuff to get higher returns. I know this investing stuff can be intimidating and it can feel overwhelming, but you don't have to learn all of it in one shot. Just start off making sure you're simple, you have high returns, and you're diversified. And by doing that, putting it into some accounts that will keep you from paying too much in taxes, like a Roth IRA, a 401k, benefit from that match, that alone is going to put you over the edge of all of your peers. Then if you want to get spicy with it after you've kind of figured out how that looks and how that works over a period of time, then start looking at better ways to improve those returns. Maybe get into real estate at some point when you start getting to that. Until then, just keep it real simple for yourself so that you can have a great retirement, you can be wealthy, and maybe at some point in the future we can buy cool toys and have a good time without having to worry about uh whether or not we'll have enough money, we can have that true financial peace that Dave Ramsey is constantly talking about. And I'm excited for one day for all of us to be there. Oh, I promised you my biggest trick that I figured out when I first started. So the biggest trick I figured out when I first started investing was that I had to spend cash immediately, or in some cases, even before that cash hit my bank account. I know that sounds crazy, but if we think about it, we're spending cash in this scenario on assets, on things that are either appreciating or producing cash. And that's what I had to do. I had to get out of the mindset of seeing cash in my bank account and then immediately figuring out what to spend it on, whether it be 
new tech, which is usually the case for me, or trips or cars or whatever. And I had to get that cash out of my bank account, out of my pocket as fast as humanly possible. Because I noticed that once it was gone, once it was invested, I didn't worry about it. So things like 401ks where the employer is just pulling the money out initially, I signed up for that immediately. My company has employee stock purchase plan. I'm maxed out on the employee stock purchase plan. Because if I don't see that cash, I don't think about it. My entire budget and my lifestyle stays within the amount of cash that actually shows up to my account as opposed to the amount of cash I think I have based off of my income. And then I'm able to invest an incredible amount of money without thinking about it. So the greatest trick is to find ways to get rid of that cash as fast as humanly possible or as or as Kaiser Soze said in that movie, Usual Suspects, the greatest trick my cash has ever played was proving that it never existed. And like that, 